0: God's love for the church, husbands and wives. So that's that's the topic. Um, I realise um, somewhat of what I will be saying today concerning husbands and wives may be somewhat countercultural and possibly difficult to understand. Uh, you see, our worldview is very different than that that what, is, that what is laid out in the scriptures for us. And depending on our background, our upbringing, our experiences in our upbringing, uh, it may determine how we even perceive or understand what the Scriptures are saying regarding husbands and wives of the church. So I'll be presenting this afternoon uh, this section of Scripture, uh, somewhat from my own life experience. Uh been married for nearly 41 years, would you believe it? I still look so young, right? And intertwined with my exposure uh, and living in different ministry contexts, different countries over the years, uh, what the Lord has taught me through our marriage and what he still continues to teach me through our marriage. Uh, As you know, uh, there can be many, many challenges in maintaining a biblical marriage. Uh, Sometimes the lines in marriage or the relationship gets a bit blurry, gets a bit foggy, because there's a world system out there that says completely different, doesn't it, than what the Scriptures say. Um, Although the worldly system has tried to adopt some biblical principles, and depending on what context you live in or what country, it still holds to some of those principles. So today, Lord willing, uh, we will be reminded of what it of why it is so important to understand that marriage is a covenant or an agreement between God, man and woman, and um, oh yeah, and to get rid of the fogginess and the confusion that is out there. I'm gonna to have to bring this bring this up. But I'll wait till Maria comes. Um, and as we observed as we've been going through the book of Ephesians there has been this theme of oneness, oneness and unity, harmony. It's a theme that's been running from Genesis all the way through. Oh, that's a bit too high, dear. Okay, that's good, thanks. There you are, sir. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, sir. So Paul and his addressing to to the Ephesians and in other portions of scripture. He's often stressing and emphasising and highlighting and underlining this important quality and command, that's the oneness and the unity, that we should should display in our Christian lives. In fact, this is what God wanted from the beginning. From the beginning when he created uh, man and woman, when he created the heavens and the earth, he wanted harmony, unity, oneness. And it was there. There was that harmony, unity and oneness. But... We know sin entered into the world and that unity and harmony between God and man was broken. Chaos then began to rule with the angelic host being divided, man fighting against man, death was common, uh, selfishness, pride, destruction became key themes in the life of mankind. And thus sadly, uh, we don't have to look too far in the world today to see that chaos, that destruction that is out there. And even more uh, we even see it in the church sometimes, don't we? But I want us to read this um, these beautiful words of Jesus that he, that he was praying to his father concerning those he was leaving behind. This is in John chapter 17, if you want to come, hon. And um, just listen to these beautiful words and try and pick out what Jesus is trying to emphasise to his disciples, and which I really believe applies to us and the church. So, John 17, 11 to 26, if you want to turn there, or flick there, or however you do it. So,
1: this the first part is Jesus' praise for his disciples. So, starting at um, verse 11 of chapter 17 of John. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Sorry, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me I kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20, now Jesus prays for all believers. I do not pray for these alone, but, I, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love which, with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Yeah,
0: it's actually not easy to read. That's why I got Maria to read it. <laughs> I was actually going to do it audible, but uh, we are one, so I thought, okay. So can you hear the theme coming out? And it's, and it's a theme as we've been running through the book of Ephesians is that area of one, oneness, harmony. So one, one, one with the Father, one with Christ, and one with each other. Have you been picking that up? Good, good, yep. So let's look at some other scriptures that talk about unity and oneness. Uh, in Psalm 113, 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, Unity, that's right. Second uh, Corinthians 13.11, uh, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encouraging one another, being of one mind, in, uh, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Uh, Philippians 2.2 2 says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And then there's other verses. There's Colossians 3.14, Romans 12.4-5, uh, 4 4 Romans 5.6, 5, and there's others. Uh, I'll just read a couple more. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, just as the body through, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts are from one body, so it is with Christ. And then we've got Acts 4.32. So... If you want these notes, they'll be they'll be available to you. So, and there's lots more scripture to go with. But it's just emphasising the oneness and the unity that we have in Christ. So you could say, and it's not an assumption, that unity or oneness should be a high priority that the church collectively and as individual believers we should seek and strive for. There's over 179 Bible verses scattered throughout the Old and New Testament that talk about unity. The exhortation to us as the church then is to maintain the unity or maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we read about that in Ephesians 4.3. How do we do this? By forgiving one another, recognising our sinfulness, addressing the risks or divisions that are amongst us and, and many more. So what does the Lord want to communicate to us today as we go through Ephesians 5, uh, 22 to the end? What does the Lord want to communicate to us, remind us of through this section of scripture concerning the church and marriage? Uh, Remember that Paul was addressing the church as as a whole body and he reminded them right from the beginning of Ephesians there, he was reminding them first of the wonderful things that they had in Christ, right? All the blessings that they have in Christ, that their salvation was a gift of God and that they did not deserve it, that they now had peace with God, that they are now citizens of heaven, that they are now unified spiritually because of Christ's sacrifice for them, that they had been given gifts for the church, which we heard last week, and then they are to walk in love and light and wisdom so we're in that walk phase still of Ephesians. So the section of Scripture today comes with more practical application for us to walk, how to live in peace, harmony, unity and oneness as married believers with the church as an example and Christ is our Saviour and Head, as Christ is our Saviour and Head and which is also the foundation the foundation on which we as a church and individuals can stand. So before I go a little bit further, I just want to recap a little bit on the word submit. So before you all start running out the door when I get to um, that point, I just want to clarify some things on what the word submit means. Uh, Ephesians five eighteen to 21. I'll just read that again briefly. Ephesians five eighteen to twenty one, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Actually, on that, thanks guys, thanks worship team, that was really good today. I really enjoyed our time of preparation and yeah, just making. I can't sing, but I make a melody in my heart to the Lord with you. Uh, Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things uh, to the God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Do you hear that in verse 21? It's submitting to one another in the fear of God and then we'll step into the next section where it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. So first of all, I want to say that a spirit-filled life and the fear of God brings about a correct understanding of of biblical submission. Does that make sense? I'm just going to read that again. First of all, I want to say that a spirit-filled life and that fearing God brings about a correct understanding of biblical submission. So when we in our marriages are filled with the spirit, it is evident that our mutual submission to each other and then the act of submission will be done, that act of submission to one another will be done out of the fear of God not the fear of man. So submitting to one another implies teamwork, right? Teamwork. So hence the believer in Jesus should not be thoughtless, but be thinking about others. We should not be individualistic, but we should be collectivists, if that's the right word. Uh, We should not be self-assertive, but we should include others in our assertiveness. We should not be self-seeking, uh, but be seeking others, or others seeking. Uh, we, should have, we should have a team attitude, not a one-man band attitude. And we should, we should be content when someone else succeeds or does well. And then it mentions about the fear of God. This is mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible. And it's such an important point because Paul himself uses his statement quite often in his writing to the church, in the fear of God. And it's referring to a revering, a respecting, a loving him for all that he has done on our behalf. With this understanding, I believe, understanding that part of submission, with that understanding, I believe we will see love, respect, that love and respect will flow out of us and into our relationships. Hence, submitting then, submitting to one another, becomes more natural. It's not a task. Oh, I have to submit to my wife. I have to submit to authority. But if we love Christ and see him as a head, it flows down and it comes out of our life. So the church then, so then as a church collectively and as individuals, I've got a few few questions for us. So do you and I, do you and I love the church, the body of Christ, unconditionally? Or do you and I here, sitting here today, do we love the church unconditionally? Do you and I display an unconditional love and no strings attached for our brothers and sisters in Christ for whom Christ died for? See, these are hard questions, eh? These are, these are ones we can take away and think about. Who am I struggling with? Who are those in my life in the body of Christ that I might be struggling with that I need to go away and bring before the Lord and forgive, reconcile? Do we realise, because we have an us and them mentality sometimes, don't we? The church. But guess what? We are the church, We are part of the church collectively here in Newcastle and wherever we are in the world, wherever you go, we are part of the church. So Christ gave his life for you and I just as he did for every other believer in the world, past, present and future. The most hardened criminal converted to Christ to the most smallest innocent child giving their heart to Jesus. Look at what Jesus did on did out of submission to his father because he loved the church. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Uh, Philippians two, five to eight says this. This is what Christ did out of submission to his father for you and I. He says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the former God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient uh, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is Christ's submission on our behalf to his Father, that he would die for us, that we might have life, that we might have eternal life, forgiveness of sin. I admit folks that I don't always love my brother and sister I struggle sometimes I, as I've been going through this I've been thinking of times where I've struggled with, with brothers and sisters in Christ where I've been accused and all sorts of things and they're just bringing up all this stuff and I'm saying Lord am I still holding grudges am I still struggling with these people but Christ has asked us to love them as he loves every believer. So, but by the Lord's grace and strength, I've endeavoured to live peaceably with all men, forgiving, not holding grudges, not hating, not taking revenge. In Ephesians 5 again, 19 to 21, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of God. So it talks about the church doing things together, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as well as giving thanks and being grateful. And then Paul uses the word submitting, which we've already talked about, one another in the fear of God. And again, I believe that's the key—the key to reconciliation, the key to us of being a unified church—is submitting to one another. It's that oneness, it's that unity that it's talked about here. And then we'll see it's stre- if it's if it's in the church, then it flows through. It's like a conduit flowing through the church, collectively, individually, and it flows out into the community and into our workplaces. But as we look at church history, the church in some ways has failed the head. We have failed Christ at times. We have denied him. We have ignored him, um, not taking him seriously. We have abused him, hated him, forsaken him, compromised him. Yet he still unconditionally loves us. I can't fathom that. We were, um, reading, we were reading through Jeremiah today and one of his um, nicknames is the Weeping Prophet. I think I might have told you that, but I think I inherited some of his genes somewhere along the line. But so he, he loves us unconditionally after, after all our failings and yet, guess what, he's still building his church. He's still building his church around this world, despite us. And yet he chooses us as his vessel, as his instruments to serve him. So Christ has never forsaken us, given up on us, denied us, hated us, or sought revenge on us. He says this. He's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. No more weeping, it says. Uh, No more tears. All our tears will be washed away. Um, we have eternal life, eternal inheritance. Uh, we are blessed beyond all measure. We are adopted into his family. We have his spirit residing in us. Is that not unconditional love? It is. Is that not how we should treat each other as a church? should not these characteristic traits be taken into our marriage, into our relationships with one another? You see, Christ made an agreement or a covenant with his church, which includes you and I, that he would love us no matter what. No matter how we, how we behave, he will always love us. Thus Christ has submitted out of love himself to the church because he honours and respects his Father. So marriage, and I'm not going to do it, Nick, because I don't know all the words. <laughs> You're all laughing because you know what it is, right? <laughs> um, Proverbs eighteen twenty two, Guys, he who finds a wife, finds a good, finds what is good and receives favour in the Lord. Do you agree, guys? Yeah, good. Don't forget it. Uh, we've got verses. I'm not going to read them all, but Genesis 1, 27 to 28. I'm not going to read that one, but Genesis 2, 18 to 22. So these are verses that just... Um, Prove to us that God ordained marriage. Then the Lord God said in Genesis 18, 22, That it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took out one of his ribs, closed it up in place with his flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made with he made a woman, and brought her to man. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they became one flesh. And it's, it says a similar thing in Matthew 9.4-6 and then there's other verses in 1 Peter 3.7. Okay, wives. Are you ready, wives? Got your seatbelt on? Maybe you should have one of those racing cars seatbelts on you with the double straps. Thus it says in Ephesians 5 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. You see if wives love Christ she then is freely to submit to a husband who then is also submitting to Christ. Does that make sense? We are not talking about a submission out of fear Or out of control, or abuse, or even because the wife has to. You are submitting to your husband because of what Christ has done for you. In the latter part of verse 24, it says um, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, in everything. Paul says that the wife should be subject to her husband and everything. So that, does that really mean everything? Have you ever asked yourself that wife? Like, do I have to be submissive to my, wife, uh, to my husband and everything? So this needs to be understood in the same way, I believe, we understand submission in other biblical references. For example, in Romans 13, it talks about how Christians should submit to the state or to the governments. And we understand that there are exceptions to that. And uh, Lloyd Jones has uh, one, two, three, four areas here where the wife is free from those everythings. So when the husband asks, is asked, sorry, when the husband asks or expects the wife to sin, then she is freely free from that submission. The second one. When the husband is medically incapacitated or insane, she is free from her husband's obligation to submit. The wife does not have to submit a request a husband makes when he is insane or medically incapacitated. Now, I see you guys laughing there. <laughs> don't, don't sort of make it up. Uh, when the husband is physically abusive and endangers the safety of the wife, or the children. I don't believe that the wife then needs to submit to the husband in everything. She's free from that obligation and hopefully getting help. And then the last one he says here, when the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery. Obviously the wife does not have to submit to the husband's adultery or just accept it. The Bible says she has the right then to come out from under that. So now, taking the wife's role a little bit further, in verse 23 it says that the husband is the head of the wife, meaning that he has authority over the wife. And we need to be careful not to take that word authority as a standalone statement. We need to take it in the context where it further says that as Christ is the head of the church, the saviour of the body You see, I believe a wife will respect and love her husband if he, the husband, displays his rightful authority as the head of the home or head of the wife. Again, it's not the husband saying, hey, I'm better than you, or don't argue with me. It's not that type of attitude that we want to see. It's because the husband loves, honors, and respects Christ that he will lead with the right authority, have that right headship, over his wife and his family, just as Christ does the church. So that's wives are to submit and respect their husband's authority over them. So in our context, practically, how could a wife do that? Now, I don't know whether to do this or not. I've got a little note here where husbands and wives are to look at each other while I say these. So you can do it if you want, all right. So husbands and wives, you can look at each other if you want. You don't have to. You can do it when you get home. So first of all, accept that you are married to an imperfect man, ladies. You can say it, husbands, to your wives if you want. I'm imperfect. Look for opportunities to show your husband's honour, to show your husband honour, and build him up. Focus on what your husband does well. Encourage your husband when he gives spiritual direction to your family. Here's an interesting one. Listen to your husband. Actually, these are going to be very similar when we get to the husband, okay? Speak well of your husband. Don't discredit or shame him, particularly in public. Disagree with your husband, but do it respectfully. Show your support during hard and difficult times. And the last one I've got here, and you can keep going with the list, but don't compare your husband with others. Don't compare your husband with other men. Okay, ladies, you can take your seatbelts off. That's all I've got to say for now. husbands, You can put your seatbelt on (laughs) or your safety harness. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So to me as a husband, this is a very, very sobering passage of Scripture. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her very sobering. So what does that mean towards, uh, like me as a husband towards my wife? Am I to give my life for my wife? Well, in some ways the answer is yes. You see, as a husband, our love for our wives should be a love without changing. A self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting a repayment. A love so great that it cannot it cannot be given. Oh sorry, a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable and the unappealing. A love that loves even when it's rejected. So if Christ is the head of the church and gave his life for her for her, the husband who is the head of the marriage relationship, we must be willing to sacrificially. Give our life for our wife. It rhymes, doesn't it? Give your life for your wife. So you won't forget it, blokes. So, but how does it it make you feel? How does it make us feel as husbands? Did you did you sign up for that with your marriage vows that you would give your life for your wife? I I I had no idea. I was a non-believer when I got married. I had no idea I had to give my life for my wife. It was all about me and having fun and whatever until I came to know Christ. And then the whole, my whole world turned upside down and then I was taught the scriptures of what a husband, how a husband should treat his wife. Paul's word to Christian husbands safeguard also the previous words to the wife. Though wives are to submit to their husbands, it never excuses a husband acting as a tyrant over their wife. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says that we're being given the spirit of power and also of love. God's power in our Christian life should always be exercised in love. It's not the power of dictatorship or that little tyrant. It's not the idea of a man who demands to himself certain rights Tramples upon his wife's feelings and so on, and sits at home as a dictator. No a husband is entitled, no husband is entitled to say that he is ahead of his wife unless he's willing to give his life for his wife. It's that unconditional love that we are to have for our wife. So the lead of a husband in marriage is to is to be is to show a loving leadership. It's a leadership of love, that unconditional love, that agape love. <coughs> so after one year or 40 years of marriage, we are, daily as hus- are we daily as husbands willing to die for our wives? Meaning, not thinking of ourselves and our own interests preferring our wives above our own desires, living humbly before them, being strong but not abusive, showing authority but with humility. So verse 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5 says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Interesting words that Paul uses sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. We know that the word of God is truth, don't we? The word is truth. We read that in John 17. And that by reading it, by reading the word, the Holy Spirit takes it and uses it to transform and change our lives. It takes us through that purifying process, like the example that we hear so often. It's a story of refining gold. The more we heat it and take it through the filtering system, the more pure that gold is. And that's what the Lord is doing through our lives as we read his word, as we pray, as we meditate upon the word, as we engage with that in our marriages. The Lord is using his word the washing of the water of the word, to sanctify, to transform us into his likeness, into his image. The old, the old man, the old self is being thrown out and the new is entering in, bit by bit. And uh, for time's sake, uh, Galatians, you can just note this at Galatians 5, 19 to 26 uh, will help us understand that better. So husbands as the head... There are no negotiable areas we should be leading our wives in. We should be, there are non-negotiable areas that we should be leading our wives in, sorry. We need to be teaching her the word. We need to be praying with her and that, showing that sacrificial love to her. What did the early church do in the book of Acts? The bride of Christ, the early bride of Christ, when they came together, what did they do? They worshipped together, read the word, they prayed together. This was community, community being sanctified, being made holy, being washed by the word. Thus as husbands, we as husbands must look after the spiritual needs of our wives. Once again, leading out of love. Huge responsibility. And I must say, I've struggled in that area at times. Uh, you can ask Mary and I how I've struggled, and she's actually taken the lead sometimes, instead of me being the father or the husband taking the lead in that area. But it's our responsibility. We need need to take care of the spiritual needs of our wives. So there's lots of great tools out there as well that help us as husbands and wives to be able to get into the Word, to read, to pray together. There's, There's lots of good material out there. Okay, some practical areas to think about as husbands towards leading out of love your wife. So husbands, you can look at your wife now, if you want. Some of you are sitting apart today. Interesting. Uh, Firstly, accept that you are married to an imperfect woman. But look for opportunities to show your wife love and to build her up. Focus on what your wife does well. Focus, sorry, listen to your wife. Yes, you've got to listen to your wife. Communication. People ask me, what's, what, what's been one of the successful parts in your marriage? And I go, I'm really sucked at this at times. But communication, 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 communication. Talk to your wife. Listen to your wife as well. Speak well of your wife. Don't discredit or shame her particularly in public. Disagree with your wife, but in love. Show your support during hard times and difficult times to your wife. And don't compare your wife with others. Don't compare your wife with others. Verse 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, Who loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So verses 28 and 29 are reinforcing what has already been said or read, emphasizing again how much Christ loved or loves his church. You see, whether we like to admit it or not, men, we do love ourselves at times, but we try to put on this macho image and brush it off and say oh, I don't really care about myself but we do the truth is we take care of ourselves more than others at times we like to put ourselves first and family and others second or third taking care of our needs becomes a priority at times and not our wives our families so next time guys when you look in the mirror uh, ask the Lord what he, what he wants you to see What does the Lord want you to see when you look in the mirror? That you are made in His image. You're not looking at your hair. You might have to do it a bit, but but look to see, hey, I'm created in the image of God. I'm created in His likeness. I have some of His character traits in me. We have a mind. Number one, we have a mind being renewed daily by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God that lives in us so that we can honour Him. Number two, we have a will that desires to please and honour the Lord with our actions and our attitudes. And he's also created us to have emotions, feelings of compassion, love, courage, and so, so forth. And guess what? Your spouse is also made in the image of God. And she has these characteristic traits, these attributes as well. And guess what? Together you are one. And guess what? As a church... We come collectively to share what God has given to us. Just think of the unity, the oneness that we could have if we understand how we are made in the image of God. Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31 says, And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and they shall be joined to his and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. One flesh. So that takes us back to the Old Testament to Genesis chapter two. There, stating again the importance of oneness. Again, that theme of oneness in marriage. Adam said after he had taken out his God had taken out his rib that this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They shall be. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Have you ever said that to your wife? You're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I've never said it to Maria. But that's it. God created us one in unity. So do you see the theme? Do you see the theme that God is bringing out here? Oneness, unity, and the importance of it. Thus marriage is a union between man and woman as the Lord had ordained it to be. The marriage is under the headship, and and of this unity between a husband and wife, and thus the church, the body of Christ, is one under the headship of Christ. We know that marriages are being destroyed today. Marriages are being destroyed wherever you look around. And when you see a destroyed marriage, you see the ripple effect of that, don't you? It just doesn't affect you, but it affects your family, your children the wider family, grandparents, uncles, aunties, siblings, and it flows on into the community, into the church, and so on. And I really believe this is the enemy's plan, is to destroy marriages. People are going away from the truth of God's word and trying to incorporate a worldly system into it, and it just doesn't work. We have to base, as believers, we have to base the principles of our marriage off the word of God. So what can we do? What can we do, church, about bringing oneness back into into the church? Into the church, not just here, but into the church. What can we do to bring oneness back into the church? What can we do, husbands and wives, to bring oneness back into our marriage? What can we do to do that? And I believe verse thirty three, which is basically a summary of what we've just been going through, gives us the answer. It says, Nevertheless, let each of you in particular husbands, so love your own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. So it's not hard, is it? Like when you read it, go, yeah, that's that's pretty simple, that's pretty straightforward. putting that out in daily practice it's it's hard work marriage is hard work but we've got the spirit of God living within us he enables us to do it as we submit to one another as as the wives uh, respect and love their husbands as we men as we sacrificially give our lives for our wife so just in concluding here If we allow the Spirit of God to help us walk in unity, love, light and wisdom, our love for Christ as the head of the church, our submission, respect, love, honour, authority in our marriages, raising our children, life in our workplaces and community, if we are submitting to him, walking in the light of that, then I believe it will just flow out. It will flow out of our lives. These these attributes, these character of of God, will flow out of us. What does Galatians two twenty say? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this is the this is the walk. This is the walk. This is the oneness that God wants to wants us to have in our relationship as a church, and in our marriages. So before I pray. Um, Marie and I have been around for a while. Uh, we don't have all the answers. But we we are open. Uh, we, we talked about this. Um, so if you ever want to talk to us about marriage stuff, um, call us, email us, um, or have a cup of coffee with us. Um, we, we are open. We are open to just share our life with you. Not saying we're going to solve your issues or problems, but we are open to talk about Hey, whatever, whatever. Hey, your marriage might be going great and you want to give us some tips. Please do. <laughs> we, we don't have it all together. We, we are learning. We are learning. So let's pray. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.